0: Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. I'm Glenn Harris and I work at the University of Portsmouth. It's my job to make sure the amazing research, breakthroughs and cutting edge science that takes place here can be heard and used by as many people as possible. And that's why today we have a very special episode to share some news for research here, now and in the future. When you think of space exploration, you might be forgiven for thinking of moonwalks and the 20th century space race. But today the reality is much more diverse. Scientists use space technology not only to look out into our cosmos, but to monitor and research our own planet, whilst enabling security and communications. In September this year, the UK government announced its National Space Strategy. This ambition to nearly double investment in the UK's space economy by 2030 might seem ambitious, but today we're going to find out how outer space is closer than you might think. What's more, here at Portsmouth, we have the analytical and engineering expertise, as well as the partnerships needed to become world leaders. It's certainly our ambition, and today we're going to hear more about how that's going to happen, as well as some of the incredible projects underway. So let's start by finding out a little bit more about how the University of Portsmouth is setting its course for being a world leader in space innovation. I'm joined by Professor Adam Amara, Director of the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation, and Professor David Bacon, also from the Institute. Thanks for joining me both. Adam, um, can you tell me a little bit about what's the government has set out on its agenda for the next nine years in space?
1: I thought I'd start by reminding people just how exciting space is. Space has the ability to inspire us. It makes us think about things like, you know, the origin of the cosmos, life on other planets, people going off and seeing uh, things and exploring distant worlds. And it has this other side to it, space, that it has now become a normal part of everyday life in the modern world that space interacts and enables you to do things. If you look back over history, countries have often used space as a way of flexing their technical muscle to show how good they are in science and technology. And the UK is no different. And so the UK government has set up this very ambitious plan that it wants to be a science superpower, space is a part of that, and they're going to double space activities in 10 years. And that's remarkable, right? You double a sector in 10 years. And it's not a small sector. If you look at what you'd consider space itself, this is something like a £16 billion pound industry. But if you consider all of the things that are enabled by space, positioning, telecommunication and so on, you end up at the hundreds of billions level. So it's a very large industry. And the UK sort of has this... Interesting relationship with space. We used to be able to launch things into space. Here, just here off Portsmouth in the Isle of Wight used to be a launch facility. And then we're, we may be the only country in the world that used to be able to launch and then we don't now. And so the government has decided to reverse that. We're going to build spaceports up in Scotland and we'll be able to launch things into space. And all of that growing investment is, again, part of this idea that we can grow this technical science capabilities of the uk into the future and industry is a big part of that but also i think academia has a large role to play in making this project a success
0: and as you say the government wants to kind of invest uh, double its investment into space industry over the next kind of 10 years but with all the other challenges we're facing at the moment with covid climate change isn't kind of space exploration kind of really expensive and we don't and it's quite slow so we're not going to see the benefits that we need?
1: Yes, space projects are and classically have been really slow and really big, but they don't have to be. What's happening with advancements in technology uh, there's a lot of interesting commercial companies coming in who are revolutionizing the way that we launch things into space. technology is miniaturizing all the time and if you target things. And if you're very focused, I think you can do interesting projects on normal scientific lab time scales of three to five years. So you have a great idea and it could be around the environment. You you can tackle these important questions and say, look, we need to monitor this this part of the world in this way. Here's a great idea. And then in three to five years, you can have the thing up and running at a cost of under a million pounds. And I think that's the direction of travel that's really exciting.
0: And to kind of make these advancements, to make this happen, obviously academic collaboration is going to be a huge part of that. You're going to need the expertise of universities from across the UK. How is Portsmouth going to be playing its part in this?
1: We've been involved in uh, space activities for a long time, usually at the user end, what they call downstream. So when the data comes down from the telescope. So in the Institute of Cosmology and uh, Gravitation, we regularly use multiple satellites. Probably the most famous that people know is the Hubble Space Telescope. We use Hubble Space Telescope data all the time. But across the university, many other staff members, for example, use uh, remote sensing data. So these are basically, in my, in my mind, astronomy telescopes that look down. And you can look at the planet and you can make interesting measurements. So we have a fairly active uh, remote sensing activities at the university. And then there are other groups that use uh, positioning data to understand how we can move things around. So there's a lot of expertise at the university in how we can use satellite data. And looking forward, I think what we need to do is to grow that to be a more complete university where we have expertise in all aspects of space. And the way to think about it, if you imagine a space mission... It sort of has three parts. It has the beginning where you come up with the idea. So let's call that the conception phase. Once you've got your idea down and pinned and you understand what you want to do, then you build it. So you have a construction phase. And so you build it, you launch it. And then you have an exploitation phase where you make the most out of the data. So we're already very good at the exploitation phase. And I think what we need to do at the university is to grow our strength in the other two, become better at coming up with good ideas and become better at building these uh, missions.
0: There's a particular programme which I think the university is going to be leading on. It's the, the CubeSat programme. So kind of, what is a
1: CubeSat and kind of, how is it going to be used? CubeSats are small satellites. They can be 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres. What you can do is target very specifically what these things will uh, measure. So you can't have a super big ambitious mission but if you're strategic and you can put your instruments in a 10 by 10 by 10 centimetre cube you can launch it for a very reasonable price and do a great experiment. The CubeSat sits inside a a broader strategy so what we've decided is that we're going to have a five-pronged strategy to get better at this end-to-end process of space mission so we're going to grow our expertise in building world-class hardware in astronomy we can do that by contributing or building bits of telescopes that exist You know, we can launch our own CubeSats, maybe launch two in-house university CubeSats, and then we can see where we go from there. We can even imagine student-led CubeSats or partnership CubeSats. We know we're good with data, so we'll help industry in the region analyse their data. That's pillar three. The fourth thing we want to do is to teach. To, there's the, if we're going to double the space activities, we have to train them somewhere. So the University of Portsmouth can train these people. And then the fifth one, which I'll let David talk about, is the moonshot. We want to go to the moon and build telescopes.
0: David, if I can bring you in here and just uh, if you can share some of these uh, examples of what this uh, moonshot ambition is.
2: Sure. So we meet weekly with people from the Jet Propulsion Lab in California. And some of the researchers there are working on an incredible project which will be designing a telescope for the far side of the moon. It will be a radio telescope. It's called the Lunar Crater Radio Telescope. It's not yet a definite NASA mission, but NASA have now funded two phases of its design. And the idea of this telescope is it will be able to see what happened very, very far away and very, very long ago towards the very beginning of the universe's history before stars even started to shine. Because at that time in the universe's history, there is gas that is gently giving out radio waves that this telescope can detect. So it's an incredible design. The dish would be a kilometre wide in a three uh, kilometre crater on the far side of the moon. And that would make it the largest filled aperture radio telescope in the solar system.
0: What are we going to learn about the early universe from this project?
2: So since it sees things in the first 5 to 50 million years of the universe's history, it can tell us how the universe is expanding at that time and how the gas and material at that time is clumping together. And the way that the universe is behaving in those ways uh, can tell us about the constituents of the universe, the invisible parts of the universe like dark matter and dark energy and how they're behaving at that very early time.
0: What does it need to be situated on the far side of the moon? What does this allow?
2: So there's, there's two reasons for putting it on the far side. First of all, that means that the moon is blocking all of the noisy radio interference that we make on Earth. And secondly, it means that we can see these very long wavelength radio waves that are bouncing off the atmosphere of the Earth.
0: Uh, and, and how do you actually get a telescope onto the far side of the moon? How is it going to be possible? What do you have to do?
2: So the, the design that uh, the JPL people are looking at is, is remarkable. The idea is that you have a spacecraft that goes to the far side of the moon and splits in two. Half of the spacecraft lands in the middle of the crater and half of it lands on the side of the crater, deploying little rover robots that then scale down to the center of the crater and pull out the mesh, which is on that part of the spacecraft, as it opens origami-like to fill this hole. Crater.
0: That sounds an amazing project. So in terms of the Timoscopes, when were you looking to this to launch?
2: So it's not yet got approval for going ahead for launch, but the current phase of the design will be over the next two years. And we'll be talking to the people in JPL about the science that's needed for that design. After that, there would be a third phase of design, uh, which would continue the development up to the stage of maturity, where NASA could select it.
0: Well, it's really exciting for Portsmouth to be kind of involved in these really ambitious missions. So if I could bring Adam back in here again. So why is Portsmouth and the universe in the region so well located for these types of space projects?
1: Well, let's start with the technical expertise that we have. So in this in this, L, the Moon project, we have great expertise that is useful to our collaborators and it works with other big projects that we're involved in. LISA is a billion-pound level telescope to measure fluctuations in the early universe. You know, we have well-known expertise and we're useful. But beyond that, our region is incredibly dense in space companies. If you want to do a space activity, Hampshire is the it region to be in. So we happen to find ourselves with... Not only the very big companies, you know, the Airbus-type companies, which are really exciting to have on our doorstep, but we also have around 480 small and medium-sized companies all involved in space activities, all keen for partnerships with Portsmouth. So it is the right place to be, and we have a lot that we can contribute in terms of our technical expertise. We just have to continue and engage with all of these companies as part of our strategy.
0: That sounds very exciting. And uh, I really can't wait to hear how that strategy progresses and how we see Portsmouth at the forefront of these really exciting space projects and innovations taking place. So uh, thank you both, Adam and David, for your, for your very informative chat this afternoon.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you, Glenn.
0: Now let's hear a little bit more about some of the projects already taking place here at the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation at the University of Portsmouth. Let's say hello to Dr Laura Nuttall, a reader of astrophysics, and Claudia Mariston, professor of astrophysics. So Laura, can you tell me a little bit about your research that you're working on at the moment?
3: Absolutely. Hi, so my research is in the area of gravitational wave astronomy. Now, for those who haven't heard of gravitational wave before, they're a new way of looking at our universe. We're actually looking for something called ripples in the fabric of space time, or at least that's their tagline. And so we're using various different instruments in order to try and measure these tiny ripples, whether they be from colliding black holes or from um, almost any astrophysical source out there. So one of the projects that I'm particularly interested in is called the LISA mission. That's the Laser Interferometer Space Antenna, which will be launched by the European Space Agency in the mid-2030s. And with that, we're going to be trying to find gravitational waves from, say, supermassive black holes colliding. So these are black holes at the very centre of galaxies, for instance. Lisa will be able to observe the entire universe directly with gravitational waves. So not only will we be able to see, for instance, the collisions of galaxies and the black holes within them, it should also be able to tell us and we should be able to learn the more things, say, about the structure and galaxies, stellar evolution, the early universe, and the nature of space-time and gravity itself.
0: Wow, sounds very exciting. So how exactly can Lisa gather this data?
3: LISA will be a giant triangle constellation out there in our solar system, will actually follow the Earth. And what LISA will be doing is, if you like, accurately timing the time it takes for a laser beam to go between various different satellites in the triangle configuration. And gravitational waves, what should happen there, is as the gravitational waves propagate through the constellation of the satellites, they should stretch and squeeze space-time. So in effect, they should effectively change the distance between the, the three different satellites and so with that we should be able to understand if you like the signature of the gravitational wave that has come through of whatever it was that actually produced it.
0: Okay, and What will your role in the project be?
3: So I'm all about detection and um, I love Thinking of different ways in order to actually, if you like, understand what the da- what is in the data. So here at Portsmouth, we're developing techniques in order to create searches that will automatically look through the data and be able to go, aha, there, I see two massive, millions of solar masses, millions of times the size of the sun, black holes that are orbiting around each other, and that they'll actually merge in, say, I don't know, a few months' time or something like that and then it's gonna happen at that point on the sky. So everybody with an electromagnetic telescope, so a traditional telescope if you like, please point over there if you like in two months time at say 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon and hopefully you might be able to see something appearing in that lens for instance. And there's various different things that we're doing here at Portsmouth, but um, I think a primary thing is really different methods in which we can try and detect what's going to be in the data.
0: That sounds really exciting to see Portsmouth at the forefront of this project. And if I could bring Claudia in here, and this is just kind of the latest example of how the Institute has really been kind of at the forefront of space science in the past. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of some of the history of the, of the Institute and some of the projects it has been involved in?
4: Yes, certainly. Uh, it is fair to say that for the past 20 years the ICG has been at the forefront of instrument development of the largest galaxy and cosmological surveys that exist in the worldwide community. The key to this is that the ICG has a staff that is able to develop sophisticated computer simulation and this simulation becomes the starting point for the instrument development. An instrument contains detectors of various types spectrograph, um, plates, uh, uh, lenses, but uh, they need to be developed according to the target that they want to catch. If you want to see galaxies at a very high di- cosmic time, you need to go into the infrared. If you want to explore stars in the Milky Way, you need another spectral wavelength, especially in the visible. And therefore, before even thinking of uh, Spending money on instrumentation, you need to have robust simulations to describe what you want, in fact, to achieve. And the ICG is absolutely forefront. So we have been involved in all the series of the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, probably the most famous worldwide astronomical mission that started over 20 years ago. And for example, I am an architect for Sloan 3, meaning I have participated. Actively to the definition of that mission, and so there has been also other type of survey.
0: The Sloan project sounds very interesting. Can you tell us more about that and your involvement in it?
4: The very successful Sloan Digital Sky Survey is the largest survey of galaxies and stars that has existed and is existing. Essentially, it, all, it is all based on a telescope, a 25 meters telescope in New Mexico. And the ICG and the University of Portsmouth used to be the only UK full partner of this exciting mission in achieving data for either cosmological questions or questions on galaxy formation and evolution. All the data have been then transferred on the pipeline that was included in the University of Portsmouth, the ICG. We have run our models on it and all these products are available, publicly available, cost for all scientists in, in the world.
0: And has this approach to the development of these research, has it changed over the 20 years or are you still taking the same approach as he did back then?
4: Well, it has changed. Uh, that uh, particular mission has upgraded their telescope facilities, and in this way, we have uh, upgraded our computer simulations. In the winter, we also acquired the supercomputer. We have several many nodes at the ICG as a private supercomputer Sham And so, starting from simulation that I was running on my laptop, we now uh, run large-scale simulations. So the approach has become, as everything right now, an approach to big data. And this will be the future, because the amount uh, um, and the quality of uh, astronomical data that are being collected all over in the world has become incredible already in the comparison of a few years ago. So we are completely into the future already. And what will happen next is that instead of developing huge missions for a large variety of users, we are thinking about fine-tuning specific missions that target a very specific scientific questions. And this is one of the routes the ACG Space Strategy wants to pursue.
0: And to... Bring Laura back in here. It sounds like this is a very exciting time for researchers working in the field of cosmology. What are you most excited about?
3: Oh, that's an amazing question. And I think really it's for the Unknown, in some respects, there are so many missions that are coming online in the next few years that various wonderful colleagues here are are involved in. And we can see over the next decade or so, all these different facets kind of coming together that will all be linked together in a wonderful interdisciplinary manner that we can explore the universe in a way that has just never been achievable before. As a slight example on something from my end of things, as I was talking about Lisa earlier, at the same time, there's going to be a wonderful, another wonderful European mission up at the same time called Athena, which will be looking at the high energy universe. So it's like those two complementary missions together can unravel things that you would never learn from one lens alone. Claudia, I'm sure you can give some great examples as well. Yes, well, I do.
4: Thank you, Laura. In fact, I'm thinking about the James Webb Space Telescope, <laughs> which uh, possibly next year will be up and uh, alive and kicking. And I'm involving one of the guaranteed time uh, survey, which means the first data that will be acquired, part of it uh, will be part of this survey. To discover more about the very baby galaxies that form shortly after the Big Bang. And I see a lot of link with Lisa because uh, those galaxies will also be forming their baby black holes, possibly. So we may learn something collectively.
0: Wow, it sounds it's going to be an incredibly exciting time for Portsmouth and the ICG in particular over the next few years. And really look forward to these new developments and new insights, which uh, yourselves and colleagues are going to be uh, finding out. So, uh, Thank you.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks to everyone who's made time to share insights into the research and strategy that's already putting the University of Portsmouth on the road to being world leaders in space innovation. By combining that simulation, modelling and analytics expertise with building and implementation through all important industry partnerships, it's clear that the ICG has an enormous role to play in helping the UK meet its ambitious goals. And it's incredibly exciting to think that researchers working across the disciplines, from geographers to meteorologists, security experts and more, will be able to quickly and efficiently dream up a research project and harness the power of space technology to make it happen. And the pace of this innovation is startling too. What might once have been a life's work might now take a matter of years to achieve. There truly has never been a more exciting time to be in research at Portsmouth. You can find out more about all the research taking place here by going to port.ac.uk forward slash research Or check out Solve magazine for regular articles about everything that's taking place here. We'll be back next time with a look ahead to another important moment in our planet's history. The COP26 conference takes place in Glasgow this November and we'll be discussing how breakthroughs at Portsmouth are helping answer some of our world's biggest challenges. See you then.